our care extends out into the not just other humans but into the trees and animals and all of that because the ultimate healing like you mentioned earlier dissolving boundaries i love that phrase the ultimate healing is that those artificial boundaries that don't exist are dissolved and we actually experience ourselves as the web of life you know, the interconnectedness into the sky into the earth with all yeah that's yeah. i think that's what we're ultimately looking for Welcome to episode 43 of the One Mind Meditation Podcast, where we explore the ancient art of meditation and chat with teachers, scientists, and passionate practitioners to hone in on the best tips and stories to inspire your practice. My name is Morgan Dix. I've been meditating for over 20 years, and 15 of those I spent in a meditation ashram in intensive training and study. And it is my honor and my pleasure to be able to share my knowledge and my understanding of meditation with you. Today, we're interviewing my good friend, meditation practitioner, instructor, and life coach, Alex Musat. So today we explore, to use Alex's terms, the medicine of the heart and how meditation can help us heal and connect with that deep medicine which he describes, Alex describes, as inherent or innate care that lives within each of us and that infuses us at the core of our being. So this was really an adventurous and a very transparent conversation. We riff a lot. It may seem that we stray from the topic of meditation on occasion, but please don't worry, we do tie it all up and back to meditation. So I totally enjoyed this conversation, a lot of highlights, and I think you're going to get a lot from it. I learned a lot from talking with Alex, and I'd love to know what you think. I'm eager to hear from you, our About Meditation community, and your response to this episode. So without delay, let's jump in. Here's my interview with Alex Musat. Alex, welcome to the show. It's great to have you on here. Thanks, Morgan. I'm, I'm happy to be on. Thanks for inviting me. Absolutely. So I'd love it if you could start and share with us a little bit about your own story and particularly as it relates to meditation, how you got into meditation and how, how you've come to do the work that you're doing in life coaching and, and counseling. Yeah. Uh, these are always a big, <laughs> that's a meaningful pause. It's always a big question. <laughs> yeah, I'm just kind of looking at which kind of section I want to grab at for this part of our conversation. Yes. Uh, well, you, you know, this is about meditation. So leading into that, there's something that comes up for me often is this sentiment that, that people, that I hear, that people have. Um, I live in Boulder, which is like this kind of postmodern Mecca type yes. of situation where people are doing all kinds of personal work. And one thing that you'll hear, one thing that I hear is some, sometimes people say, you know, meditation is not for me mm. or mindfulness is not, not for me. And for whatever reason, because it's, it's challenging or difficult or they somehow, it doesn't fit with their worldview in some way. And to me, that's, that's almost like saying having legs isn't for me. Yeah. Like I, you know, I, I'm not really into using my legs. Yeah. 
you know, because meditation is it's a training of something that's inherent to your being, which is awareness and attention. So in terms of diving into my own story, I identified my awareness and the contents of my awareness, what's in my mind and in my feeling life as an integral part of my being. And I think very early on, I became aware of my own suffering. And so mm. the message that I got when I was very young was that Alex is, you know, he's too sensitive, too sensitive. Right. Meaning that I was very moved by, by everything. And that, you know, that all, the, all the people around me thought that this was a, a disproportionate response to what was happening. And I was feeling a lot. There was a lot of feeling and there was a lot of suffering. And I, I was aware of that suffering. And all, all the approaches that people were kind of taking with me in regards to my own suffering, they, they didn't work or do anything. And the message that I was getting from, you know, the, the culture around me was that we're not suffering. You know, we've got, we just, we just do, we just do what we do. We do our work and we, we, we handle business and this is just how life is. And I'm not really suffering. We're just taking care of business. So you right. should too. Right. So basically this sensitivity that I had and this awareness around my own suffering was ignored for a very long time. I was just suffering and right. aware, of it, you know, and the, the more I kind of developed and grew into myself, the more I started to see with more detail that the, the recipes that were being given for life were inadequate and that I needed to find some real, some real solutions to this problem of, of what just felt like great pain and anxiety, yeah. you know, and I, I, I was never, well, I was never checked, but I was never diagnosed with anything formal or official. It's just, I, I hurt a lot. So I think that's the quick answer. Yeah. How did I get into my own awareness it yeah. had kind of happened all by itself and then you know discovering buddhism is kind of it's my main my main uh mm -hmm. view my main mm -hmm. practice is very comprehensive in this regard as you know it's you know it, the whole thing starts out with the four noble truths the first one being the truth of suffering or the truth of of great anxiety yeah yeah so um Right. So, and, and how did I get into, into the work that I do? Um, it was in, the, it was in relationship to people, you know, it was the, the message that I got was, um, on the, on the surface was, no, I'm, you know, I'm fine. I'm, I'm not suffering. And, um, all this conflict that I'm experiencing in my life, it's just, uh, it's a temporary, uh, annoyance and I'm, mm. I'm suffering. And, but beneath and inside the subtle, my own subtle feeling within relationship, I could really feel not only my suffering, but I could actually feel other people's suffering as well. And it, it, I've said the word suffering about a million times so far already, but feeling that discrepancy in relationship yeah. caused me more suffering hmm. to feel that they weren't seeking a, a resolution to their suffering. They were so just sort of taking it, lying down, you know, the, 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 their situation and their, their mental uh, architecture. They were kind of just they weren't accepting it. It was just a, it was a very elaborate form of denial. So in relationship, I could feel other people suffering in their kind of denial of it. And I started giving voice to this and started unsolicitedly at a very young age, starting with my parents, you know, kind of penetrating and, and cutting into the, the dialogue and what was happening and, and challenging the descriptions that I was being given of, of what was going on with people. Right. If that makes sense. So, yeah, it definitely does. 
it's so you know and i moved I, all of this came naturally as a result of it for whatever i don't know what the underlying causes and conditions were for for me kind of being so relationally sensitive and kind of penetrating and, and challenging other people's coping strategies yeah as i as i grew this it went from me giving unsolicited advice to people which doesn't go over so well into um do, doing it professionally kind of helping people yeah um heal on all kinds of levels and and arrange their lives and practices and arrange the their the contents of their mind and the force and kind of shape of their awareness to move them towards less anxiety and suffering and and towards healing and towards actual fulfillment and eventually actualization of gifts and and their purpose was there like a a moment when you realized that that kind of discrepancy as you described it between we could say that gap of suffering or the gap being pain but the suffering being kind of the denial of that pain yeah and so and someone's just baseline like and and seeing that there was a i mean it's a strange word to use but like seeing there was an opportunity to respond to it was there like a moment when you became aware like hey this in a certain way when did you become self-aware when did you realize oh i actually have something to give here i know this gap i understand this because i've wrestled with it in myself and i feel it i know it i see it i i you know the obviously the character and contours of everyone's pain is different but you see that gap and you see the denial yeah what 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 happened then that you recognized this is what i want to do i want to actually help people with this well i think the impulse to help them was always there but it was it was unclarified and not not fully conscious it was just a, a kind of impulsive drive to help like no look you know like this no don't carry on that thread because it only leads to more suffering but of course I wasn't responding to anybody but my close friends and family. And the the response there that that doesn't work part in in large part because my own approach to it wasn't refined or fully conscious. It was more just like a a drive to just be of some help and and it wasn't yeah. so it wasn't so skillful. Yeah. But I think the moment it started when I started to get feedback from from people that weren't close to me. So I actually started at Naropa. I'm a, I'm a kind of a resident meditation instructor there and also academic coach mm-hmm. slash life coach. It's, it's a, that's where the, the whole thing started in terms of my professional life and me taking up this as a full-time thing. Um, mm-hmm. But it, it, the, it was in the feedback that I was getting from people because when people are actually listening and they want help, when people have come into contact with their own suffering and they're actually seeking and looking um, they listen deeply and so it went from me kind of hammering my advice on people unsolicitedly to people actually asking me for it and that's an entirely different kind of situation and it's it's very tender and, and sensitive and beautiful and from these encounters that I was having people were benefiting from it and telling me so basically in the feedback from others where I could see that not only was I able to kind of give myself the medicine, but I could also at times help other people lessen their anxiety on a fundamental level. Yeah. Yeah. That's cool. All right. So let's press the pause button on that 
yeah. part of your story because I want to come back to it. I also have some questions about it also, yeah, which will become clear. But I'd love to now switch gears. So you are, as you said, you're also a meditation instructor. Tell me a little bit about your path with meditation. What kind of meditation do you practice? How often, like, do you... Hmm. Do you have a daily practice? What? How does it fit into your life right now? Like, and then I want to go back and and talk about it in the context of healing, and I'm sure you'll yeah. you'll you'll get there. But paint if you can a little bit of a picture for us uh, around your interest in meditation and your your own practice now. And yeah, I'd like I'd like to hear a little bit about that. Yeah. So it's my main practice out of several that I have. One is writing or journaling. The other one is I, I practice yoga and and meditation is definitely the the bulk of it. And when we're talking about meditation, of course, we're talking about me sitting down, sitting still, sitting upright, and attending to my immediate experience. And that began with the mindfulness practice of actually following the breath and returning to it when I lose it. I think that's would be considered the standard mindfulness practice. Yeah. But at this point, I my practice isn't so much. Um, focused in that way and it's more just an open sitting so I'm just sitting very still I'm sitting as still as I can be and I'm just I would say I'm being in my body but I think a more accurate way to say it is that I'm, I'm being my body and that's another way of saying I'm being nowness awareness or I'm mm. being I'm being the present moment so have you spent time on retreat yeah definitely I've, I've done quite a bit of Zen retreat and also I've, I study in the Tibetan Buddhist tradition Mahamudra mm. And I've done... Uh, Is that like Dzogchen? Uh, it's getting there, yeah. Yeah. That's kind of where I ended up. That's where I'm at now. Prior to this, I, along with doing the, the kind of um, the Zen retreats, I've also done a number of solitary retreats by myself. Like I know for myself with meditation there, I did a lot of practice on my own before I engaged with a teacher. And then I started engaging with teachers. You know, each teacher, I think on my path added or provided different kind of levels of clarity and and like also just illuminated parts of the landscape of spiritual practice and and development that I just, you know, had no idea about. Yeah. Eventually the practice itself, for me, it went from, well, I always was propelled by my own interest, my own kind of insights and experiences, but I think there were certain times where I was carried by, you could say, the grace of the teacher or, mm. the, you know, the flip side of that being the pressure from the evolutionary, yeah. tension, evolutionary tension of the teacher. But then for me, at least personally, there was a moment where I would say the practice certainly just became my own, like fully and completely. Something shifted and I just was established in my own practice, it was I was independent, and whereas in some ways, I I hadn't quite been before. It yeah. was it, there was a self-generating momentum that came from both within me and, and just from the practice itself. You yeah. know that definitely was precipitated or, or catalyzed by some just some powerful experiences on retreat. And I wondering for you, were there like certain turning points or certain moments? In terms yeah. of the evolution of your own practice, what kind of inflection points have you experienced? Well, I, I think what I heard you describe this kind of, all of a sudden there was a sort of self-ground 
that developed underneath you where yeah. the practice became yours. Yeah. I think for me, I, there are, that's constantly happening. That's one of the signs that the practice is working in, in, from my perspective, you know. Mm. And one of the things that happens is that there is this kind of establishment of personal, or not personal, there's an establishment of this um, sincerity or authenticity of the practice. And then that evolves to a certain point. And again, it becomes kind of disrupted and disturbed. But it, it never returns to the, the point where it was at. Yeah. So, it's, it feels like that's something that arrives continually and in a new way that overwrites in some ways the old way, but also captures everything that's, that's good and beautiful about the whatever perspective I was holding before. Yeah. For me, though, definitely the, the biggest transition has been one from this kind of technique-oriented deep view and philosophy of this is what reality is, this is the mistake we're making and, and why we're suffering and it's not the case. And here's the kind of strategy and technique and practice to undo that perceptual error that we have. So the big shift for me has been from this very technique-oriented scientific approach to an untangling of the knots kind of covering my heart is the way that I would say it. So actually mm. the, the actual fruits of it and that's what I was looking for from the very start, you know, when I stumbled around telling you about suffering is what is the actual cure to to basic anxiety and fear and suffering and where i'm at now talking to you in this moment is the heart is the cure and and love and compassion and kindness is the only cure for anxiety and suffering for myself for the self not just relieving other people's suffering but actually to relieve my own and so the big transition point or fulcrum there is moving from this kind of very um intellectually oriented mentally cutting you know so not just intellect but but mentally sharp rigorous disciplined practice to mm. softening of the heart so i, I repeated myself a couple of times there but i, I no okay definitely so, coming through yeah you know that's like finding and, and this is after nine years of very from my perspective pretty rigorous practice you know and, and so this is like finding water in the desert you know yeah that's the juice right there and yeah the the whole enlightenment project doesn't even matter when you find that water when you yeah find that heart juice and so i'm just i'm really bowing down in great reverence to that yeah i got a big smile <laughs> on my face right now because the while you're singing my song i gotta say because i wanted to part of the reason I wanted to come back to what you were saying before was like, I guess for me, I'm curious because it's a question that's very alive for me right now, how you see meditation in terms of what you were just saying in the process of healing. And I'll tell you why I have this question because it, my own journey with spiritual practice has like right now, I would say like the heart of my spiritual practice is the body-based therapy I'm doing with a therapist, with like psychotherapist, but it's yeah. a very somatic approach. And I just knew at a certain point, I need to start working with someone like this because I felt I, there was just this, I needed to heal through some trauma, some deep trauma. Yeah. And, and I've been blown away by... And, and I don't think, you know, it's 
it's, I don't think it's hyperbole when I say that by, you know, what has unfolded in that process and the heart of it being just coming into contact with how broken my heart is. And tw- I spent 15 years in that ashram and 20 years kind of really on this path of pursuing the refinement of my own awareness through meditation and different practices yeah. and going for God big time <laughs> and finding some like, you know, beautiful, very beautiful, exquisite intimacy and discoveries and insight. But then there's something about this, which is like, I mean, in the end, it's kind of one, obviously it's one process, but for me, the discovery of finding like the richness in the pain that I experience and stopping turning away from it and starting to really turn towards it, which I would say is the kind of heart of what has changed in my relationship to what's inside me in terms of what's broken and the freedom of letting that be there and in the process, it opens me to the world and to other people in a way that nothing else in my life has. And yeah. particularly because, you know, when your heart's broken, you feel the pain of the world. You feel the pain in yourself, it's just the pain of being human, but you feel existence is filled with a lot of pain. Our humanity is, I think... You know, it's being touched in these deep ways all the time and we don't always have a a space in ourselves or a space between us to allow that and to give it expression. And I feel like, I feel like that's what I'm finding through this process and it's amazing. And I interviewed a gentleman recently, what was his name? John Dupuy, who... Yeah, I know John. Yeah, and you know, he was saying, someone asked him, what is God? And he said, I, for me, God is the light I find in the darkness. And I thought it was a very beautiful way to describe what I was finding. And it's really resonant with everything you're saying right now. And so I, I find this so interesting, like, cause that was not anything I ever came to through meditation per se that heartbroken contact yeah. with first myself. Once that happens, it's like, it's not really about you. You're open to the world. You know, you're just dropping certain barriers and blockades yeah. that, are, that are on your heart. So Totally. And, and yeah, I mean, there's, I, this is the starting point of the, the interview for me. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I think there's so many ways to go about kind of exploring this with our words and, and talking about it. And, you know, many people, they, they find that the best expression verbally is poetry to, to get at this thing that you're describing. And yeah. so just to acknowledge, you know, that it's, there's so many ways to try to articulate it. And I've, I've got a bunch hovering around me right now. And I'm just like, well, which one, which one can yeah. I grab? Yeah. To, and my work in terms of the work I do, it's, I can kind of drop the philosophy right now on you, you know, and kind of tell you what my philosophy is, but the, the real work is in the exchange of people, you know, and, and it is what yeah. we're doing, but this is more of an interview format, but an actual, like, what's, what are we working with? What's the obstacle? How, what, what's closing our hearts, you know? Yeah. But I think if I were to pull one thread right now, I would say everybody cares very, very deeply. 
but not everybody is in touch with that care because caring as deeply as you describe and coming into contact with the other, with others, with the pain of the world is yeah. annihilating in some ways. You know, so another way I always put it, I would put it as that we really want to care deeply. That is the healing balm and the medicine for us is that we can feel our care at the deepest level. It already exists. The degree to which we can't feel it is what we call, you know, the, the heart being kind of closed or I prefer obscured or covered up, you know. And in terms of meditation, the first encounter with meditation is theoretical. You hear it. It's this hearing stage where you hear about meditation. Oh, what's that? Well, meditation is this thing that you do where you stop, you sit down, and you apply your attention in a certain way. And here's why you should do it. So you hear it, and then you know you may try and sit down and actually go for it, and you start to use this stuff that's floating around in your mind, the instruction. You hear the instruction outside of yourself, and you apply the instruction. And what it's saying, it's saying, you know, the essence of it for me is, is be here now, right? To use mm -hmm. Ramdas's term, be yeah. here now. And it's a technique for doing it, and that's what's so beautiful with the with the meditative traditions is that they have they have a technique. It's the most compassionate extension of care for others. I'm just repeating myself now, but that that there could be is here's an actual technique for you to start to heal your own suffering, to start to heal the suffering of of the world. Here's a here's an actual strategy. Sit down, get your mind in one place, and when you lose that, just gently return to that place, you know, to the breath in this case, to return to the breath. So you're using the mind and it's this mental kind of thing. But what happens over time is, as you know, with the more you practice being here now, the body is the anchor to yeah. now because the body doesn't exist anywhere else. And in fact, the mind is here now too, but we've kind of grown up and out of our heads into this fantasy self and life so what we're doing is we're just gathering the attention the actual energy of our body instead of going into our minds and projecting this self this is who i am and here's time and past present future we're actually gathering that back in gently pull by pull or gathering our attention back into the body into here-ness into now-ness gathering and every time we kind of lose it and we're we've created a world in our minds whether that's just you know, a single burst of a world or the last 20 minutes when we're meditating, we just gently gather it all back into the body, into the body. And the body, from my perspective, the body as nowness is the heart. And that's all of that. Is, that's just a preliminary practice of, of getting here, of learning how to actually be established in the bottoms of my feet when I'm standing. Yeah. And actually letting the feeling sense the feeling tone of the entire moment arise here and now and there's a development that happens over long periods of time where there's a figure ground reversal and um there's, what, a, there's a what a, a figure ground reversal so where previously there's i'm caught in time in my mind daydream most of the time and i'm gathering my attention back into the moment less of the time those yeah. two things get flipped where I'm, I'm in the moment, I, you know, the moment, uh, that's a technical term, <laughs> but I'm in the moment yeah. all of the time and occasionally, or, or most of the time, and occasionally my mind expands into these kind of story fantasies of who I am and 
and who I think I am and what the world is and time, past, present, and future kind of thing. So eventually those two flip. We're established in and as the body. And within the body, the mind still pops up and arises, but it's, it's actually more a part of the anatomy. It's because the mind, is, the mind now is seen to arise within this moment. And all of the contents and the talking and the imagery and the time and the concerns, those are all arise now in the moment, in this greater space of this sort of body-mind moment. If that makes sense, I, I don't know if I'm, yeah. if I'm still landing it there. But. Yeah. And that, that's where the heart is. And, and that's where when, when you're established in the moment, and this is beyond just sitting on the cushion, but to kind of tease awareness beyond sitting still on the cushion and into walking around and into relating with others, then the, this kind of covering of the heart can be examined in real time to see what is this exactly here and now. Not what, it, what, not what do I think it is, not to make a story out of it, my heart is closed because my, you know, I had this kind of childhood and these traumatic things happen. Not to explain away or to intellectualize why the heart is open, but to literally feel it like you would a, an ache in your body, to actually feel. And when I say heart, I mean the entirety of this moment of you, of your life, and this deep care that's hiding behind you know, this kind of crust of defense that we've built up because it's seemingly a very sharp, painful world out there and we want mm. to been trained to protect ourselves. But the, the act of meditation is just the preliminary practice of getting here now to examine the contraction moment to moment to moment. You know, and to, to learn, to literally learn what it means to actually relax it open. And that's just one, that's, this is one angle of it. I just wanted to riff on a little bit. Yeah, it's great, man. I love it. And, uh, well, so there are a couple of things. One is, I know this is important for our audience because, like, you know, there's some folks, naturally, you just want to learn a technique and calm down, you know. Yeah. That's like a lot of the audience, you guys listening, that's part of it. But then a lot of you also have reached out to me over time. And, you know, I'll tell you, Alex, like the theme that often comes is like, it is pain. It is deep suffering. And it is people wanting to know is like, can meditation heal me with respect to different traumas? And I think that's part of what you're speaking to. You're talking about the preliminary ground yeah. that are, or the context in which that type of healing can actually occur where you can begin to, I think this is what you're part of what you're saying anyways, and, and correct me if I'm wrong, but like I resonated with what you were saying. Cause like, as so my therapist, I would say has a, a kind of mindful slant mm-hmm. to her practice. And, a lot of what we do is just attend in the moment to whatever is there. And, yeah. and we don't, sometimes we just know there isn't even really a lot of talking sometimes, but then it's also attending to, um, and very much in the body becoming aware of, well, where is, you know, well, one, just even what are you feeling? And then, you know, being attendant to that and then, going in and being like, all right, well, where is that? And then staying with that, not doing anything with it, just staying with it. And then again, 
well, what if any images are there? What if any words yeah. are there? And often, I'll tell you what, man, it's the simplest things. It can be a word or an image, and I'll say it. And it's like the dam breaks. And I'm like, I have no f- clue what just <laughs> happened. But yeah. I just released a tidal wave of usually a, a feeling of emotion just floods through. And yeah. that is like, at least as I'm experiencing it, there's an, it's, a, uh, it's cleansing, it's healing, but it's deepening too. There's something about being with that and recognizing too that there is this deep space of feeling within us mm. that I think you know is corollary to the part that you described in each of us that already cares. And yeah. when, we, when we don't, naturally, for all the reasons you described, when we don't attend also to that part of ourselves, that is part of why we need to heal because that's, that's a real and significant part of our humanity. And yeah. at least this is, you know, and I'm, I'm, I'm extrapolating from my own experience, but I think it's true. I think it's, it's universal and if we don't attend to it, we get we actually get more sick. Yes, I can't say that there are well-adjusted people that have closed hearts. What you said was comes gushing forth. Sometimes it's it's you released awareness landed on a part of insulation within your body mind, and yeah, it, and it dissolved it, and all of a sudden, like all of that was being held back and yeah it's not it, it's not just like a, you can't just nicely store that that upset and that trauma it's not like yeah i'm just you know i like i'm just carrying it over here next to my liver like no worries it, because it it comes knocking at the door it, it yeah comes knocking and it, if it doesn't get heard it has to grow and that's what physical disease you know this chronic physical diseases can be seen as they're cries for help they've they're they're in the more subtle body mind and the energy of it, like yeah. some experience that we had that we couldn't metabolize because we were too young or too under resourced or it was just too damn intense. It gets stored and sealed, but it has to be heard. So it comes in the form first of, of kind of mental suffering of just whatever your kind of stuff is in relationship or in relationship to yourself. The big things that people work with are, you know, a sense of not being able to love themselves and mm. a sense of worthlessness. And, mm. you know, of course that's tied to a whole cultural matrix that we're just all linked into, but yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. There's an interesting th- distinction here. I wanted to talk about a little bit. Yeah. We've been talking a little bit about like this quality of awareness and the power of attending to this dimension of our experience for it to as you said, to help in a certain way dissolve some of these barriers through <laughs> being a, just merely being attentive. And similarly, like say with a, a teacher, I know with my, I've noticed now with my therapist at now it's been like four months or whatever, there's now an intersubjective. There's a space now. Yeah. When I go in there that we have, that we share, but it's now got its own character and it's now got its own history. And, you know, it's a, it's a very safe space and it's very easy for me now when I go in there to access and move through these parts of myself and in ways that maybe I, I you know, it just wasn't there before, but 
then what I've noticed is it, it's easier for me because I also uh, I practice prayer in the morning. Mm. I love it. It's a prayer where I, I pray out loud to God. It's like a Hasidic Jewish form of prayer called Hippodidut. Yeah, and it's a, so usually the rabbis or the, or the they, they would go out and usually in the woods outside of town in the forest when it was very quiet and they could just speak out loud to God and you're really encouraged to hold nothing back, everything, you know, hmm. what you're happy about, what you're sad about if you're angry with God. That's, that's incredible. It's an amazing practice and very liberating. And I don't have, you know, I didn't really grow up with a picture of God as such because I grew up in a, in a secular context. But I did pray growing up and it was just something I, I did. But so now coming back to it after spending all this year, all, all this time in a more Eastern context with a more formless meditation, I find it's an interesting difference because it's easier for me in prayer to access that part of myself to let go and if i need to weep weep like it's actually much more natural for me to just cry as i'm praying and you know and it's not like depressing it's like i don't know how it's to describe it's almost like a sweet pain yeah it's like a both an unburdening but just a contact I'll tell you, I'll tell you what, brother. I'll take one of those anytime I can get get it. Yeah, you know, yeah, totally. So that's why I like. I just find it interesting in the context of almost like an other. Yeah, that for at least for me right now, it's yeah. easier. I don't know what the word is to either have that vulnerability of self with self, or yeah, to be open to the universe. Yeah, and it's it's healing, right? Deeply, and, deeply that, healing. That's, I mean, that's that's the word that I I just land on with any anybody myself and anybody I work with. It's that that's what we're looking for, and like what you mentioned is like people are people are looking for ways to work with their pain and suffering because yeah. being in a body mind like this is inherently painful, you know. And if it isn't now, it will be in the next moment, and that's what people are looking for. And I I think at the base of that. My understanding is that we're looking for this care, this warmth, this love. Yeah. And ultimately, you know what you were talking about, your 15 years in the ashram aiming for God, like that's the same thing. You know, the, the, Absolutely. The driving, the driving force there is, is love, seeking this kind of release into perfection, I guess, you know. Um, and, you know, you, you just mentioned kind of your before and after going to therapy kind of thing. The way I kind of walk people into this, because everybody's already moved in this way by love. They just don't know it yet. So mm-hmm. a lack of self-love, self-worth, those are big things that everybody's working with. And most of the people I see somewhere in there, that's a major thing, a sense of like unworthiness, inadequacy, and lack of self-love. And we kind of begin by pointing out that this very act of you going and to this other, to this therapist, this that, that you would actually, first of all, think of it, get up, find one, and go. That itself is a tremendously huge act of love. Hmm. And to actually feel that, to feel that, to come into contact with that very basic, simple fact that I de- really deeply care, and I care enough to do this. You and hear that other- siren in the background? 
Yeah. Okay. Sorry. <laughs> no problem. Uh, yeah, you were saying and, you know and then the other the other side of awareness has two sides. One is the aware the awareness part, like I'm aware of this, and the, and then that same awareness is actually is actually love. So when you're when you're in there with with the therapist or or whatever whoever you're working with, there's a field of awareness, and and that interpersonal dimension is an amplified field of awareness and. The, the work of a, the, you know, a, a healer or a therapist is to magnify the field of awareness, but also to be, at times, surgical in some ways and corrective and say, these emotional kind of geysers that, that you're experiencing, like those are covered up for a reason because they are too intense and maybe scary. I'm not claiming to know your exact position, but that's generally the thing. That's, yeah. they, that's why they're covered up because yeah. we don't know what's in there. They're very intense. So... We naturally, we're very inclined, of course, in our day-to-day life to avoid those areas. And that's where a helping other, uh, a coach or a therapist can nudge you back towards that and actually make that incision. Like, okay, name that thing. Like, yeah. what is that? And actually cut it open. And then, and then we both stand there with our arms stretched out and just holding this whirlwind, you know, in, in this field of awareness, which is equivalent to love and there are different words we can use you know love is i like it I, yeah I like word but you know this deep care and this this kind of healing balm of infinite extension out into otherness yeah with each other you know yeah so it's hugely healing and to just wake up to the different ways in which we care and to to acknowledge like what we care for ourselves and we actually care for others and then it's embarrassing. There's an, almost an embarrassment because of the world we live in. It's embarrassing to acknowledge this deep care because we have to get our, you know, we got to get our successes down. We got to raise our one yeah. family and, and make sure we leave them with enough when we die. But actually, like our care extends out into the, not just other humans, but into the trees and animals and all of that. Because ultimately, you know, the, the ultimate healing like you said, you you mentioned earlier, dissolving boundaries, which is I love that phrase. The ultimate healing is that those artificial boundaries that don't exist are dissolved, and we actually experience ourselves as the web of life. You know, the interconnectedness into the sky, into the earth, with all. Yeah, that's yeah. I think that's what we're ultimately looking for. Maybe. Yeah, yeah, and I and it, I also felt like you touched on something that I wanted to also hone in on, which was this. This feeling that like in our culture, you know, we all have whatever shields and defenses we have up. And as you rightly said, for often for very good reasons. And, you know, we're not ready necessarily to embrace the pain or face into it or whatever. But I think the process is so interesting. Beforehand, I was just like, there's still stigma in our culture. And, and I think I want to give voice to this for everyone because there's still a stigma around going to see a therapist. Like, well, that must mean you're in some way that you're broken and, you know, that you need help yeah. and something's wrong with you. And I think part of this entire conversation is just about like, look, you're a human being. You are going to suffer. You're going to experience this deep pain. And part of like, also, at least I think what I would say I'm finding is the richness of experiencing our humanity is actually being fully in touch with that. 
Yes. And and that is like, I got to tell you, man, I'm like, theoretically, I think I understood that, but I didn't like, right. on an embodied level, that was just not, I can't really say that was my reality before. Yeah. I often feel that some of what people in my audience at least are going for is not, I wouldn't, I wouldn't say a quick fix, but it was like, how can meditation take care of my pain? Yeah. And I just don't think it quite works that way. I know it doesn't, right. you know. Well, the way it can take care of it is by you actually feeling it completely. You know? Exactly. <laughs> I, I think it's Suzuki Roshi, the great Zen master who died recently. Well, recently, not that recently, but he said the only solution to your pain is to fully feel it. Yeah. Is that what you're getting at? That's exactly what I'm getting at. And well, in particular, that it's not, sexy from <laughs> totally and that's that's a major i can't say it's an issue because it's inherent in the architecture of being a self in the world but like you've got two models for the way people come to meditation one is the sort of shopping mall model like it's another thing that's popular i'm going to try it and add it to my arsenal yeah i'm going to build up myself i'm going to use it this is all unconscious talk of course but i'm going to use it to actually insulate myself more from this direct feeling reality this direct experience of my life exactly the way it is my relationships my problems my despair and my depression i'm going to use it to kind of heal it all i'm going to add it to my arsenal the other approach is they're somewhat related but the other one's a little more deeply being in touch with suffering i need to heal i'm suffering and in both cases, both people are confronted with the fact that it's not, uh, it's not a Western medical model. We're not going to meditate and all of a sudden just evaporate and feel great, although there, that is a part of it. It's actually more of this spiral that involves a lot of self-confrontation. But the thing about it is that that's only frightening in the first few stages of it. And then later on too, but there's a lot of reward, like actually coming into some of that care, contact with it, you know, yeah. and it is the medicine. And, and that, it's not a binary thing. It's not that you practice for 30 years and then you get the drop of medicine. It comes and goes in relative ways, like states of concentration developed in meditation are inherently pleasurable, you know, and those yeah. things actually help ease along the process. It's yeah. like, it's some kind of... Um, uh, not Novocaine, that's not appropriate, that's too uh, anesthetic. Bomb. Like you said, a bomb. Yeah, a bomb, totally. Well, so let's let's find a way to kind of bring this to some resolution and yeah. maybe just kind of round up what we've been talking about a little bit, coming back to your work and... yeah. Well, yeah, go for it. Yeah, just piggybacking off the last thing that, that we were just talking about. Because as a culture, as a society, the majority of people have not broken that barrier into the heart, we'll call it, have not yeah. broken that barrier into knowing themselves and knowing their minds and knowing all the stuff that's hiding out in themselves and the, the shadows and all those geysers and stuff. Because a majority of the world operates that way, and I can safely say that, you know, with reference to just go outside and see see what's happening. Like the, you know, we're we're in a bit of a mess, right? Yeah. So collectively, so that's where I get the support to make that statement. Yeah. Uh, because that's the case. You know, the self help world and the world, even the world of meditation and mindfulness, is actually unconsciously operating under that kind of avoidance strategy. So what you're going to get is a majority of the 
the help that's out there is very limited because people aren't willing to go past and beyond themselves and encounter this more difficult, challenging parts. And, and of course, because, you know, you and I, we live in this highly capitalistic society that people are also capitalizing on. it. It's sad, but it, it's true. It is a, there's a capitalist mentality towards, let's just say, self-help, you know, yeah. the ending of suffering. So there's a lot of false promises made with not very good techniques behind it. But so the, the way I, I want to wrap it up is that said there is help out there and what what i urge people to do is to practice by themselves as much as they can and really come into like you said come into contact with their own kind of ground and heart and this is actually a developmental thing that that is pointed out by western psychology is the development into a self-authoring state of mind where actually i get to reflect with my own authority on on what's what's legit and what isn't what's mm. working what isn't rather than kind of purchasing what's being sold which is what enculturation is. It's You're expected to kind of purchase what's being sold, and that ties back to how I opened in that I didn't like what I was being sold from a very young age because it didn't work. Yeah. But my point is, is that that can be very discouraging and disillusioning, and people are sick, and they have chronic stuff with their bodies and chronic psychological stuff and trauma. And if when they find something that works, you know, they go with it. If you don't find something that works, there is help out there. And like you described, this kind of reaching out, reaching out for help is huge, particularly for those more masculinely oriented. Yeah. Like, like myself, like to ask, like as a man in this culture, like we're enculturated to not ask for help. So one, to come into contact with my suffering and then two, to actually be able to humble myself to ask for help. That Those two moves already are going to open up huge doors for anybody, I think. That's what I'm seeing. Yeah. Uh, so the point is that there is help out there. And then I think the last point that I, I think um, is really important is that, you know, where we went today, like, I think I stumbled around a little bit with my own path through suffering. And I think that's because it was hard and painful. And I, I don't actually have this kind of coherent story around it. It was, it was a rocky, <laughs> rocky start. You know? Yeah. Um, yeah. But and, and then we moved into, and, and we've been focusing a lot on this deep aspect of caring and the deep heart of the human and being human and praying is a very heart-centered thing, which is a lot better explained by the heart itself and yes. by the experience itself yes. than us discussing it. That said, the last point I want to make is that I think there's actually embarrassment around this in this kind of self-help meditation world that we're talking about is that it's true the heart speaks once you can hear it and there's a total there's total strategy for quote unquote getting there so getting there is like kind of a no no in zen yeah zogchen and even you know contemplative psychotherapeutic psychotherapeutic approaches where the whole point is that we're we're just holding space you know and, and we're letting we're trusting everything to arise as it may well there's another side to it that's the feminine embrace side the the masculine side is there there's a total there's strategy and technique and there are stages to the path and healing can be initiated and instigated and you can decide which setting you want to put it on low medium high low is going to kind of churn slowly and and slowly heal over time but it's going to take a long time and then medium's a little faster but more intense and then high is like you're doing a lot of work in a short period of time and i'm totally reduced i'm being very reductionistic now but there is that strategic element to it and there is help out there yeah 
you just kind of have to hone in your own sensitivity to what what that is and what you're willing to undergo in this lifetime you know yeah so there's total strategy in this day and age we have this few there's not a lot of there's not a lot of people out there but there's a there's a whole canon of western psychology and strategy and understanding of the mind that doesn't exist in the eastern practices you know that's a science of how the mind develops from childhood into adulthood and old age and death and what arises in the conscious mind how the world is seen and then on the on the meditative eastern side of things we've got how do we actually liberate that mind no matter what stage it's at so those two things combined along with like physiology and biology are just like it's the fast track you know it's the fast yes yeah it sounds like a sales pitch and and i want to steer away from that but there are settings to the knob you kind of decide and and who you end up interfacing with who you reach out for help to yes is of utmost importance like the other minds and hearts that you come into contact with that's the critical element unless you're a forest yogi and then you've already kind of established a certain development of your heart and mind that you can go and hang out in a cave and accomplish it there but the world might need you too that's awesome i think that's it uh let's perfect let's put a bow on it i think that was awesome man thank you and if people alex want to follow up with you directly how can they contact you how can they learn about your work well the best way to learn about my work is to exchange with me directly because as you've seen it's kind of a every situation is unique but i have a website where there's a contact form and you can reach me there and it's alexmusat.com i will link up to that in the show notes everybody nice but Alex, thank you. I really appreciate it. This man was awesome. I really enjoyed going where we went today together. And everyone, I, I hope you really enjoyed it. And, and Alex, I, I appreciate it. Me too. I'm so grateful. And I feel like we're just getting started, just kind of warming up. Absolutely. Thank you, man. <laughs> thank you, Morgan. I hope you enjoyed my conversation with Alex. If you want to follow up with him and learn more about Alex's work, I've included links to his website in the show notes. You can explore those links over at aboutmeditation.com forward slash podcast. That's aboutmeditation.com forward slash podcast. And when you're over there, please be sure to pick up our free meditation resources if you haven't already. That's two 20-minute guided meditations, and also a three-part self-paced meditation seminar. So you can get all of that over at aboutmeditation.com. And let's wrap this up with a quote from one of Alex's teachers, Lama Surya Das. And he says, The heart is an organ of perception. The heart is an organ of perception.